This episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel. Be sure to tell them Communicore Weekly sent you. Not that you'll get a special deer or anything, but hey, you know, it can't hurt us either. Check them out at fairygodmothertravel.com. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I, I really love how, like, every week you kind of amplify the the greatest part of that sentence, because it's just like we get better every week. Well, I figure, too, the people get bored with me just saying the same thing for the intro. So you gotta you know, change the affliction a little bit. Yeah, that way they don't think we're robots. I'm, well, I'm, I know yeah. I'm not a robot. And that sort of ruins the whole thing. Okay. They think we're robots. Like Otto. The that, Disney and robot. That guy is definitely a robot, an automated telephone robot. He is. He is. Speaking of Disney telephones, yes, uh, yes, yes. Later on in the show, we will have a, another brand new impromptu United Kingdom Pavilion phone booth Disney trivia. And for those of you who listen to the live show, you know that we could not successfully do that during the live show for whatever reason. And then we found out that those phones were taken offline. Yes. So, uh, what do you think, George? I think we're going to have to put two and two together and say because we had some really great successful phone booth trivia calls to the United Kingdom, um, somebody stepped in and said, hmm, let's take these phones out of order. We're not saying that's what really happened. We are surmising. We're just, that's what happened. yeah, we're putting two and two together <clears throat> and saying this is a widely popular feature. So, of course, they yes. want to take it away from me. Um, and also, we did have a Communicore cadet, Norman Bates on Twitter. Great guy. Follow him. Uh, actually stood in the phone booths while you tried to call him, right? I did. Uh, but his name isn't actually Norman Bates, but that is his Twitter handle. That's so his Twitter handle. His yeah, real name Norman is Alan, Bates. so thank you, yeah, Alan. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Alan. I know, I know. But, but he might want some anonymity. Anonymity. I can't even say the word. I know. Regardless, thankfully, the one that you'll hear later on this episode is one that we recorded a while ago. We actually have a few a few banked that will spread out over time. So these were all recorded before the phones were taken away. So you don't think that we're faking it. These are real people. So yep. yeah, hopefully they come back online soon and we can continue playing the game. If not, we'll have to find some other random phone to call and ask Disney trivia questions. That means we have to have a different theme song for each one. Yeah. That'd be really, ah, uh, man, they're gonna have to write new songs and ever, ah, uh, forget it. Let's, let's just start the show. Okay. It's time for Disney History. So Space Mountain is one of those rides that no one ever forgets once they've been on it. You know, with its combination of high thrills and sudden drops, and of course being completely in the dark, it's definitely a favorite of mine. But how did it come to be to begin with? Well, the concept was a descendant of the first Disney mountain attraction, the Matterhorn Bobsleds at Disneyland, which opened in 1959. Now, after the Matterhorn success, that kind of convinced Walt Disney that thrill rides really did have a place in his theme park, so they decided to embark on making more. So, Wed partnered with Aero Development Company, the same company that had helped design the Matterhorn's roller coaster system uh, years before, to help create a new roller coaster. And the initial concept was going to have four entirely separate tracks and was to be called the Spaceport with a capital P. 
this is going to be the big attraction for the 1967 Tomorrowland redesign. Uh, unfortunately, the technology needed for such a ride was not available at the time, and there just wasn't enough space for it at Disneyland either. And on top of that, Walt's death in December 1966 and plans for the Florida project rapidly being developed also forced Wed to put aside the design of Space Mountain indefinitely. But the Magic Kingdom's early success after the park opened prompted Wed to begin planning thrill rides for the new park. Now, there was a new Matterhorn bobsleds-like attraction that was considered, but it just wouldn't fit within Florida's Fantasyland, and we mean that space-wise. Um, mm. Ultimately, the designers returned to the Space Mountain concept, and due to Florida's fickle weather and the sudden rainstorms, the indoor coaster was a perfect fit to keep parkgoers happy on a rainy day, which, as we know, happens a <laughs> lot when you're down in Florida. Oh, so, yeah. So Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland had the right amount of space for this ambitious new roller coaster, and the computer technology had significantly improved since the initial design phases, so systems go for that one. Um, it, was, it was actually decided that the mountain would be built, built outside of the park, um, on the opposite side of the train tracks that act as a perimeter of the park. So when you're in line and it dips down, that's actually where you pass underneath the train tracks, so you can hear the train going over your head. I love that part of it. So to help cover the cost of developing and building Space Mountain, Card Walker, the, the CEO of Walt Disney Productions, convinced RCA chairman Robert Sarnoff to sponsor the new attraction. RCA was contracted by Disney to provide the communications hardware for Walt Disney World Resort, and their contract stated that if Disney presented an attraction of interest, RCA would provide $10 million to support it. And so they poured all that money into Space Mountain to help cover the cost of it. And it opened on January 15th, 1975. Now at Walt Disney World, the ride has two identical tracks to help break up the crowd. Um, one side actually has 10 extra feet added to it uh, when it passes over the other. But other than that, they are exact mirror images of each other. Uh, it was actually originally designed to travel outside of the, uh, of the ride building itself for part of its journey uh, and then plunge the guests back into the darkness but again due to the unpredictable weather conditions they left the entire thing indoors so not only was the walt disney world version the world's first entirely indoors and in the dark roller coaster but it was also the very first attraction at the disney theme parks worldwide to get fast pass Ooh. and it was tested here in 1999 before being implemented in all the other parks now, the success of the Florida version prompted Imagineers to look back into building one for Disneyland. And after two years of construction, uh, the $20 million complex opened on May 27, 1977. This included the uh, the new Space Mountain roller coaster itself, the uh, over 1,000 seats uh, space stage, the 670 seats Space Place restaurant, and the Starcade. Um, the track layout of the Disneyland version differed from the Walt Disney World one only because of the space limitations inside uh, Disneyland's perimeter. Um, this version was sponsored by the DASA, which was the Disneyland <laughs> Aeronautics and Space Administration, which was more of a joke than anything else. Exactly. Um, both versions of the ride have had extensive refurbs over the years. While Walt Disney World's version has essentially remained the same, the Disneyland version got an upgraded ride system and an onboard music system in 2005, making the ride an almost entirely new experience. The attraction was also built for Tokyo Disneyland in 1983, Disneyland Paris in 1995, and Hong Kong Disneyland in 2005. And Jeff, you know, one of those questions we always get is which one is better? 
And uh, it depends on on how you feel that day. No, I think. it doesn't. No, Why? It doesn't. What are you gonna say? The best ones at Disneyland. It's a I, far superior coaster. You know what? That the sound system went on the ride, and yeah, it's really, really good. I, I, I can't deny that. It's, it's, it's perfect. Smooth and it's smooth. It's super yeah, smooth. It's, Su- yes. Like, like a baby's bottom. That's how smooth the Disneyland version is. Baby bottom mountain. I, I would, I would. No, I'm not gonna ride that roller coaster. Forget it. Okay. I'm okay. gonna forget it. Anyway, I, Disneyland, it wins. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's Book of the Week. Michael Barrier's biography, The Animated Man, A Life of Walt Disney, is one of the more important biographical works on Walt's life. Uh, But before I get into the review, I want to share a little bit about the author, Michael Barrier. Barrier has written several animation and comic book-related titles. The most well-known are Hollywood Cartoons, American Animation in its Golden Age, Carl Barks and the Art of Comic Books, and a Smithsonian Book of Comic Book Comics. He also published Funny World, a magazine devoted to animation and comics, and Funny World lived in the early 1970s, and you can find reprints of it on his website, michaelbarrier.com. Um, Barrier takes a different approach to looking at the life of Walt Disney. Instead of just focusing on the more mundane facts and figures, Barrier shows us the man through Disney's work, artistry, and his relationships. Barrier does impart the sense that after, you know, creating Snow White, you know, Disney was never quite happy with the films and was striving for another challenge. Even Disneyland, with the audio animatronics, it never quite compared to the challenges of Snow White. Now, the animated man is a thoroughly enjoyable read. I I never felt like Barrier was reciting a litany of facts, but instead he was telling the story of Walt Disney. Barrier is renowned for his research, but I never felt burdened by the text. Uh, In other words, I really had trouble putting the book down. It's quite obvious that Barrier is an animation fan and has tremendous respect for Disney and the art that was created. And if you spent any time checking out Disney-related books, then you may have heard about the scuffle between Barrier's work and Neil Gabler's Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination. Uh, See, at the beginning of Gabler's research around 1995, he started to write a simpler biography of Disney after receiving a Guggenheim Fellowship. And at some point, Gabler was giving unprecedented access to the Walt Disney archives and corporate authorization to write a definitive biography. Barrier was completely denied access while writing The Animated Man. Well, the press has been enamored with the fact that Gabler was given full access to the archives and they have heaped accolades on him. Barrier's more authoritative research stems from the amount of work he had done while writing Hollywood cartoons and Funny World and through the interviews with animation legends. Barrier knows his stuff. He does rely on a large amount of primary sources and his endnotes are well documented and they're as intriguing as the rest of the text. And I found myself taking much longer to read The Animated Man because I spent so much time flipping back to the notes to get more information. And since both were published within a year of each other, it's inevitable that the comparisons will and have been drawn. I would have liked more comparisons between the works from the critics, as Barrier's book is more definitive, while Gabler's book comes off as a little snobbish and presents a seemingly misunderstood view of Disney. Um, I read Gabler's book first and found it hard to continue at points. It read as tenuously as it was long, and from the beginning, Barrier captured my attention and interest and framed a picture of Disney 
through the art produced and the company he founded and ran. Thematically, if you look at how the authors present their vision of Disney, they take decidedly different routes. Gabler paints a man obsessed with control who is never happy because of the lack of control and his attempt at, escape, at escaping his father's shadow. Gabler presumes to psychoanalyze Disney through memos, letters, and notes, ultimately presenting a self-centered and egotistical slave driver. While uh, Michael Barrier takes us on a journey through the work of Disney to present a man who is less a control freak and more of an entrepreneur. And Barrier wastes none of our time looking into Disney's psyche and instead focuses on what is tangible with Disney in order to provide a glimpse into his life. And my bottom line is, this is the best biography of Walt Disney that, have I, I, that I've had the pleasure of reading. Michael Barrier does focus predominantly on Disney's opus of work, personal and corporate, but doesn't that define Disney as we know him and why Disney is significant to us? I'm going to have to agree with you here, George. Oh, okay. This okay. is definitely the best biography of Walt Disney um, I've ever read. And, well, it just, uh, it just always bothered me that the Gabler book is sold in the theme parks. Yeah, and like that that's considered the official one by the Walt Disney Company, when this mm -hmm. one is so much better. Um, I mean, so uh, granted, the Gabler book is pretty, pretty good, too, at, at par, so it was a little tedious to read sometimes, but this book is fantastic. <laughs> it depressed me, actually. Gabler. The Gabler book did? Yeah, it depressed me. I was like, oh, man, Walt wasn't a nice guy. Aww. He was, oh, I want him to be a nice guy. But Ch Chin up, Walt. You'll you do know. okay. You'll do it. I but mean, yeah. you'll be dead, but you'll, <laughs> you'll do okay. So, so we both like The Animated Man. It's a good biography, and if you do get a chance to read Hollywood cartoons, it's great as well. Hello? Why did you do that? I almost bought it for a second, too. Hi there. Hi. How's it going? Fine. This is uh, Jeff from Camino Crow Weekly. Would you be interested in playing Impromptu United Kingdom Pavilion Phone Booth Disney Trivia? Well, we'll ask you some Disney trivia questions, and you can win a prize. Hi. Hi, how's it going? This is not the person who answered the phone, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Would, would you be interested in playing Impromptu United Kingdom Pavilion Phone Booth Disney Trivia? Okay. We'll ask you some Disney trivia questions, and you can win a prize. Okay. Awesome. Are you? Do you know Disney trivia? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, before we begin, what, what's your name? Gustavo. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce that, so we'll just go on. So what we'll do... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no offense. <laughs> um, we'll ask you three questions, easy, medium, hard, and if you get all three of them right, we will send you an awesome prize. Okay. All right, are you ready? Yeah. All right, the first question has to do with the park that you're in right now. How many countries does Epcot's World Showcase Pavilions have? Oh, my God. Ten? Uh, <laughs> you're close. I'll give you a second guess. You can even count since you're standing right there if you want. Uh, wait a second. Sure, go ahead. Do you have a map? You can look at a map. Or if they've got a smartphone. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven. Eleven, correct. Yay. All right. Yeah. That's one of three, one of three. All right. Now, how long have you been going to Epcot for? Have you been there in the in the 80s when it opened? or? 
Uh, I've been in the 90s. In the 90s. Okay, well, this is still applicable then. So, have you been to the Living Seas with Nemo and Friends over there? Uh, I don't remember. It, it's, it's, the, it's the water pavilion where, you know, you, you hang out with Finding Nemo and all his friends? Oh, really? Yeah. That one. Okay. Now, do you know the name of the sea base, the research laboratory in that pavilion? Uh, the research laboratory. Uh, I don't know. The name of the laboratory is Nemo. Is Nemo your answer? Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, you're incorrect. Nemo is not the correct answer. Okay. The correct answer is Sea Base Alpha. But you know what? You're a good sport. I'll let you. Gi- I'll let you give that one a pass. I'll give you the last question if you want. Okay. All right. Now this one is kind of hard. So. I don't know if you'll be able to get it, but we'll, we'll give it a shot anyway. Okay. Have you been over to uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios yet? No. You have not. Okay, I won't ask you that one because then it's not fair. <laughs> okay. How about the, uh, the Animal Kingdom? Yeah. You have. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully this will <laughs> be easy. Five years ago. Five years ago? Yeah. It's, you know, it's a full-day park. You can spend a full day there. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay, so if you think about the Animal Kingdom, you know, it, it ties into the Earth and being friendly with the animals and everything. Now, it opened on April 22nd, 1998. Now, keeping that in mind, what was special about the day it opened? Uh, Lion King? Uh, no, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. I'll give you one more guess. What was special about the date that it opened? It was opened on a very special day. Yeah, April 22nd, 1998. It's, it's, it happens every year, the specific thing I'm looking for. It's not really a holiday, but it kind of is. Uh, Halloween? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It was not Halloween. Okay. The correct answer was Earth Day. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much for playing. I'm sorry. What was your name again? Gustavo. Gustavo. Well, thank you very much for playing. Maybe we'll catch you again on Impromptu United Kingdom Pavilion Phone Booth Disney Trivia. I'm Jeff, and that's George. We're from Community Weekly. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Sometimes you might see it. Sometimes you don't. Hey, look. What's that? It's a five-legged goat. Part of the backstory for the Kilimanjaro Safari at Disney's Animal Kingdom is that it is now called the Harambee Wildlife Reserve. Now, before it was the reserve, it was the story behind it is that it was a livestock trading hub. So when you're exiting your safari vehicle at the local dock, if you look up at the wooden posts above your head, you can actually see the name of the former owners of the building, which are the Smith Wallace British East Africa Livestock Limited Company, which is a, I think it's a kind of cool hidden little detail and part of a backstory that uh, you never really notice. You, nobody, nobody really talks about. Hmm, I would, I, I would why. buy livestock from them. You would. I mean, if I owned a farm, I would probably buy livestock from that. Hmm, that's interesting. Heimbuck bacon? Heimbacon? I would say Heimbacon. Heimbacon? And it would just be a big, big picture of my face and, like, my, my two hands with bacon strips coming out of it. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. With the word bacon coming out of my head. 
Well, I think that means this is time for the end of the show. Because I need to so, start my bacon business. Yeah, I gotta start the baconing, baconator. The baconator. Oh, can't say that. Can't say that. That's copyrighted by oh, somebody else. I'm sorry. Anyways, so thank you guys so much for watching, listening, and absorbing yeah, this episode sh- of Community Core Weekly. This, <laughs> this one, not the other one. This one, just not this the one. other one, just this one. Be sure to leave us a comment. Uh, let, let me know if you'd buy bacon for me and rate us on iTunes. <laughs> and how much you'd pay for Jeff's bacon, basically. Well, anyway, uh, email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly and let us know how weird this got. Yeah, it got very <laughs> weird. Um, so follow us on Twitter. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Bitte